Randolph Shepherd Podcast, promoting blind entrepreneurship and independence. And now here's the dynamic duo, Nikki Gaikos and Terry Smith. Welcome everyone to year one, podcast number seven. And I'd like to thank our sponsors. We could not do this without our sponsors. Southern Food Services, Sodexo, Coca-Cola, Tyler Technologies, Three Square Markets, USI, and of course, the National Association of Blind Merchants. Terry, how are you today? Well, I'm doing great, Nikki. Great to be back doing another episode of the We Are Randolph Shepherd podcast. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am burning up. It seems like it is roasting. Of course, we're, we're summers in the South can be quite uncomfortable, but this one seems to be everywhere. How about up there where you are? Well, we hit 100 yesterday, and we're going to hit 100 for the next three days, and that's kind of hot. In fact, I saw a, a dog chasing a cat yesterday, and they were both walking. <laughs> okay. But, um, speak, but speaking of that, you know, uh, September's coming. Uh, and, you know, we're coming up on August uh, here, and September's coming, and I want to make sure that people, they'll be able to uh, register for Blast on the Boardwalk at the Hard Rock Casino and Hotel in Atlantic City, September 28th, 29th, 30th. We're working on the agenda. That should be out soon. Um, and we haven't done a live blast in a few years, so we're very excited about this Blast on the Boardwalk. Yeah, we've been trying to put this on uh, for a couple of times, and Really excited that uh, we're looking more and more like it's going to really happen this time. If people are interested and they want to attend Blast on the Boardwalk in Atlantic City, New Jersey, go to the uh, Blind Merchants website at www.blindmerchants.org and you can register to attend there. So uh, please come join us. We should have a lot of fun. Going to have some great speakers and the trade show there is uh, I think, what is it, like 250 booths or exhibitors, isn't that right, Nikki? It is, and especially coming off the last podcast about the um, inflation and supply chain, it'll be a perfect time for people to see uh, manufacturers to see what's going on, what products will be out, what new products will be coming out. So please don't forget to register for Blast, register for the Vistar show, which will include a reception on Thursday night. And then again, don't forget to book your room at the Hard Rock Casino and Hotel. Great. So, uh, folks, get on the, get online and do that now. Uh, but Nikki, changing gears here, we got a bit of an announcement from the National Association of Blind Merchants. The uh, uh, everybody talks about the Hadley training, and we we now have thirty four states who are using the Hadley training, and we're very happy that. Uh, uh, the, the, the Business Enterprise Program uh, Learning Training, they call it, BEPLT, has taken off the way it is, and, and, and it is training a lot of folks. But there's, we're making a change. The National Association of Blind Merchants has been partnering with Hadley School for the Blind for, for many years since the inception of the program. But the program is being moved over to the Chicago Lighthouse for the Blind. Uh, so the, the folks who are listening We'll see no difference in the way the program operates. The, uh, they will still, uh, you know, still be paid through us, just like it has always been. The, uh, the, the, the application process will be basically the same. There is a different portal that they have to apply. 
the instructor is still the same. Scott Cass is there. Uh, this is a change that we are we are very excited about. Uh, we're, we will be developing a brand new training platform to, to host this, uh, th this training. So we're really excited uh, about moving over to the Chicago Lighthouse for the Blind. I know they're excited to have us. Colleen Wunderlich, who, who, who helped start this program, is, is going to the Lighthouse as well, and she'll still be heading the program. So there's really no difference except that it'll be the Lighthouse instead of Hadley. And we're excited and, and, and look for big things to continue for that uh, our, our, our training program. And, and I agree, Colleen's been great to work with over the years. And the fact that she'll still be our point of contact is exciting to uh, the National Association of Blind Merchants. Hey, Nikki, I want to just mention real briefly and, and, and let you sort of elaborate a little bit on it. We had uh, high hopes that uh, the advertising uh, was going to be a, a real revenue source for our blind vendors uh, on, on vending machines. And we've, we've done a lot of work on that and a lot of research on it and thought we had a, an opportunity for blind vendors to make some extra cash through advertising. We've run into a couple of stumbling blocks. Uh, you want to you talk about that just briefly? Well, we, we have, and we thought that after conversations that, that we had, with the Department of Transportation, when we were talking about EV chargers, that advertising would be part of that. Um, and then we've been told in a couple of states that uh, advertising will not happen at this time on our vending machines. And also we had talks with GSA that said, sure, you can advertise, that'd be great. And now we've been told by their attorneys that we won't be able to do that. So we're, we got some work to do to see, because I know that in the private sector at the LA Fitness gyms that I operate, it's starting to do very well. Um, so we need to know that it's probably available in the private sector, but we got some work to do to see how we can get that up and running um, at some of our state buildings or, or uh, GSA buildings or the rest areas with DOT. So we got some work to do. But I would say one thing, just don't put them up if you get them without permission, because some people put them up and then take them down. Get permission first. Talk to the, you know, whoever your contact is. Tell them what it's about. And then uh, maybe you'll get permission to do it because it is a revenue sharing. And one thing we need right now is revenue. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's not a dead issue, that's for sure. And uh, this got just some you know, additional hurdles to clear. And hopefully that there will still be some opportunities there for our guys. Nikki, I know that um, in the past I have done the rapid fire questions with you. And uh, you wanted to do something a little different today. So what, what, you, got on, what you got in mind? Well, last, last month I asked you about, uh, tell us something that uh, we didn't know about you. And that was very interesting. And this time I said, you know, I'm going to ask Terry, if you could have a drink or interview or do a podcast with a sports celebrity, dead or alive, or someone for history, who would that be? Wow. So it, it's a sports person or we're talking about one person. Sports, well, one or two, or both in okay. sports related history related. So we're looking for two or two or three or okay, four two. people, two from history, two from sports would be great. Oh, wow. Okay. Now you get, now you give me a little flexibility. So obviously I'll, I'll start out sports. And, um, so, um, uh, and, and I, this one, this one may surprise you, but I would, I, I would say Muhammad Ali and, uh, you know, Muhammad was a, a very controversial figure when I was, when I was growing up. But uh, he was someone that I really grew to love as an athlete and boxer, respect as a person. 
and uh, would just love to sit down and, and, and have a conversation with him. If you, if, you, if you sort of expand that sports and entertainment, almost right there in the same category, and again, this is going to surprise you, would be Elvis Presley. I think Elvis Presley is probably one of the biggest tragedies of, you know, it's a tragic tale that, uh, you know, never grows old. Matter of fact, I just went to see the Elvis movie uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's a great movie, the new, the new Elvis movie. So from, if you're talking sports and entertainment, I want to go with Muhammad and with Elvis. How about you on the sports and entertainment side? Well, you know, I thought about that and I thought about, you know, I've heard some great stories about Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle back in their day about crazy things that they did. And I think that that would be exciting. But I go more for the coaches. I thought of Vince Lombardi, but the one I'd really like to sit down and, and, and who I met once but never had the opportunity to have a drink or talk with was Al Davis from uh, the Oakland Raiders, the owner of the Oakland Raiders who came from New York and a real entrepreneur, you know, and he, he did a lot of things in sports where he hired the first uh, African-American black coach, Art Shell, hired the first um, Hispanic coach, Tom Flores, hired the first female to work as a vice president in the organization and made a lot of money moving the team from Oakland to uh, LA and then back to Oakland. So I think it would be Al Davis who I'd, I'd like to really sit down and, and think about, not just the sports aspect, but the business aspect. Gotcha. Okay, so turning to history. Uh, wow, let's see. Um, I'm going to go, this doesn't have to be somebody that, 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 I, that I like or respect. You know, it, it'd be great to get inside the head of Adolf Hitler. Uh, but, I, but, but I guess if I was picking someone in American history, it'd be Abraham Lincoln. I think I'm, I'm really fascinated by the, the, the time that he was the president and trying to walk the tightrope. He tried to walk uh, and ultimately led us into war. And um, uh, so I, I, guess, I guess that is the uh, person that I, would, that I would put top of my list. Yeah, and I thought hard about this, and I thought about there's so many people. I mean, um, I thought of Patton, and of course, the one thing that everybody talks about would be uh, Jesus or uh, the, the disciples. Um, but you know what? And Abraham Lincoln's a great choice. Um, and so when we when, when we get to do that talk, well, the three of us will do that together. But I thought of Ben Franklin too. Um, ben Franklin, there's a lot of history there with him of things, uh, you know, entrepreneur again, and the history of, of, of writing, you know, working with the Constitution and, and stuff. So um, that would be my choice, but it'd be great to uh, someday we'll have that talk and the three of us will do Ben Franklin and Abe Lincoln together. <laughs> that would that, be a great day. Okay, Nikki, uh, we always uh, do the WhatsApp segment. And this is where each one of us gets 20 seconds to talk about anything that's on our mind. So, Nikki, what's up? So, this is August, and in a month from now starts the new season of college football and the National Football League. And I think more grief was taken by Terry and I about our picks for the Super Bowl. So, what's up is that next month we will make our predictions for a national championship and our teams to go to the Super Bowl for next month. And I think we'll be a lot better than we did last time. What's up with you, Terry? 
<laughs> well, I'm not going to guarantee you that it's going to be any better. You know, it, can't, well, it, can't be, it can't be much worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's yeah. We'll do that. That'll be interesting. We'll pick our we'll pick our who's going to be in the Super Bowl and who's going to be playing for the national title and who's going to win those two games. That'll, that'll be that'll be pretty good. Uh, what's up with me is that uh, this podcast comes out on August the first. And on August the 1st, the Tennessee Volunteer Football Team reports for their first practice, and which means football season is here, and great things are expected. So I hope our listeners are ready for me to do a little bragging this fall because it's going to be a great year on Rocky Top. So one quick question about that, Terry. Is, is Alabama and Georgia still in the Southeast Conference? Uh, they are. Okay. That's a I just wanted to make sure they didn't go to the pros yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's the NFL. They are NFL farm teams. That's what they are. <laughs> Nikki, let's move on to the uh, the topic that we're we're talking about today, and that's talking about nominee agencies. And uh, you know, I know you're probably like me. You get a lot of vendors who call and inquire about nominee agencies, and and we have some uh, some some analysis that we've done of nominee agencies and the pros and cons of what you can and cannot do. If anybody would like that, they can go to our website at blindmerchants.org. If you can't find it there, just reach out to me or Nikki and we can share that with you. But for those of you who don't know exactly what a nominee agency is, a nominee agency is a nonprofit agency that is selected by the SLA to handle all or a portion of the administration of the program. So, um, you know, a nominee could do just the purchasing or just the collecting the set aside, or they could do, uh, or they could do everything. They can do every aspect of the program. So, so you, it goes from one extreme, not extreme, I'm not gonna say that, from one end of the continuum to, to the other. Uh, we'll be talking later to uh, our, our guest who, from, from Virginia where the nominee does everything and the state has one employee. So you, ha you have a wide range. There are certain things that a nominee cannot do. And uh, we'll talk about that with our, with, with our guests. But uh, you know, I, I think this is a concept that has been around. And Nikki, I bet if I ask you that, what is the Randolph, does the Randolph Shepherd Act allow state agencies to use nominee agencies? 99% uh, of the people would answer yes, but that's really not true. The Randolph Shepherd Act is silent on nominee agencies. It does not mention the word is not anywhere in the law. It is in the regulations. And although I don't, I wasn't part of the discussions when the regulations were being uh, developed, uh, I suspect they put it in there because there were a lot of states at the time that were already using nominee agencies. In fact, many eight states, states used nominee agencies back in the 50s and 60s. So I suspect that uh, when RSA was promulgating the regulations, they put that in the regulations to make sure that the states who were using those nominee agencies were not harmed in any way. But uh, the nominee agency concept is something that is uh, gaining a lot of interest right now, which is why we thought we would talk about it today. Uh, but like I said, you get a lot of calls too, don't you? I, I, I do. And People asking, how can we get this done? Does it work better for you and everything? And I, you know, some 27 years ago when I ran Sagebrush, I stood on the podium and said, what Randall Shepard needs is a national nonprofit, a national nominee to run this 
uh, Randall Shepard program for purchasing, for equipment, for pricing, for so many things that we are getting now through the new program through Integra. But if we had a national nominee that could run this program, and I, I basically got almost thrown out of the, off the stage, uh, and then some of the people that wanted me said, no way, came to me later and said, you know what we need? We need a national nominee. We need to run this program as a, as a business, not 50 different ways in 50 different states. And I think that's the biggest question that we get. And I think that leads us to our topic today um, of nominee and one of the most successful nominees here in the state of Virginia. So Terry, you know, I get these daily things from the daily coach and I ask this magic question. Can I really afford to cling to these old ways of thinking? And we've had a lot of questions about nominees. Um, we always get that. What about a nominee? How do we do that? And I think one of the most successful nominees is the one in Virginia. And we are honored to welcome to our podcast, Chad Connick from the state of Virginia. Welcome, Chad. Hey, Nikki. Hey, Terry. Hey, Chad. Appreciate you being here. Anytime. So, Chad, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the uh, Virginia program? Sure. Um, so uh, a little bit about me. Um, when I got out of school, I went to work for Coca-Cola. Uh, after I did that stint, um, I went to work for a contract food service company, which eventually left, uh, led me to the Compass Group or Canteen Vending Services. And then um, I migrated into uh, the Randolph Shepherd program here in Virginia. Um, which uh, for me um, has been, it'll be 10 years come uh, next week, which I'm very proud of. Um, a little bit about Virginia and kind of where we are today. Um, we have 37 Randolph Shepard vendors. We have one remaining student who graduated uh, this past spring who is awaiting uh, a Randolph Shepard facility to become available. Um, air sales, uh, I'll kind of revert back to the RSA 15 for last year. So our sales last year overall were about $16 million, which is obviously less than pre-pandemic. Um, we are currently trending about 30% com less compared to pre-pandemic numbers as far as sales are concerned. Um, air growth, if you will, with reopening continues to focus on opening up facilities that could have been staffed as micro markets. Um, and we have pretty much a flurry right now what's going on where we have several locations that we hope to open within the next 60 to 90 days as micro markets. Again, they are coming from facilities that have been closed for over two years. So Chad, you were talking about um, um, you've been there 10 years. Uh, if you remember, it was 10 years ago this year that I was in Virginia and I did the program evaluation and you were pretty much brand new right then. Do you remember that? I sure do. I remember uh, it was kind of funny. It's one of those moments in life when you start something in the first day and you read a document and go, nobody told me about this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, yes, I did, Terry, and it was very evident upon reading that, um, that Virginia was truly, honestly, in, 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 a, in my opinion from reading it, was in a state where it needed to change. Um, 
and openly, we were very fortunate that the VFEC, all the vendors, uh, the state agency, um, the commissioner, um, were all saying, "Hey, yeah, we need to, we need to change." And in my mind, we did. I think he did, and that that report that you know that, that I wrote, and I think you're right, the commissioner who was Ray Hopkins at the time, who recently retired. I, th I think he was looking for change, and I thought that was the the impetus for it. But the, but the, the interesting thing was that was really my first really in depth experience in working with a nominee and understanding a nominee and and really getting in into the details. And so I learned a, most of what I know about nominee agencies. I learned from um, from you guys up there. So, uh, tell us a little bit about. I mean, it's, it's business opportunities for the blind. Is that what it's called? That's correct. Um, tell tell us what that is. Well, business opportunities for the blind was actually incorporated in 1957 uh, in the state of Virginia. We are a nonprofit. Um, Unfortunately, I can't go back in the history books and find a document, uh, guys, that tells me why we were created. The only thing that I can do is share what's been given to me verbally by uh, folks that were maybe not around at that time, but uh, were around a little closer to that point. And that is that for whatever reason, the state agency decided that it wanted to move the Randolph Shepherd program from, I would call it the agency's direct control to a nominee system. Um, again, I don't have a document that says why. The only thing I can do is assume based on people's comments, it originally could have been driven solely through finances. And, and knowing some of my good friends in Virginia, I'm sure somebody's told you giving you answers why it was back in the 1950s, what happened, even if they weren't around, right? <laughs> that could happen. That could happen. <laughs> so, so we call it, you, you refer to it as BOB or Bob. How do you refer to the organization? I like to use the word business opportunities for the blind. Um, okay. There's, there's okay. some acronyms out there. Um, and that just simply goes back to how the business was managed over the years, how the Randolph Shepherd program was managed over the years. Um, but I think it's appropriate to state that the business is business opportunities for the blind. Well, tell us exactly what does business opportunities for the blind do for the SLA? I know, I know the law, I mean, you, some states they do everything and some states they do just a little bit. What, what does business opportunities for the blind do in Virginia for the SLA? Well, I'm going to, um, I'll kind of take you down the list uh, and obviously um, please ask questions around it. Um, so one of the first things we do is we do have an agreement with the state and the state uh, document does have what I'm going to call a scope of work. Um, kind of starting with finances. So what do we do with that? Um, we obviously prepare a draft budget uh, for Randolph Shepard. That draft budget starts uh, pretty much in earnest in a few weeks. Um, and myself, along with my accounting manager, will start putting together a forecast for the rest of the quarter. And then that develops to a draft budget for the new fiscal year. We interface in conversation about this budget with the state agency. 
Uh, I have a lot of conversation with the VFPC about it. Um, and then at some point, the budget is reviewed by the VFPC. Uh, it's also reviewed by the board that I report to. So the company has a board of directors and a board president, and we meet with them quarterly. Uh, people that are part of that meeting include the VFEC chair, along with the state agency. Um, kind of rolling with the finances. Um, after we put the budget together, we start on the process of putting together the famous RSA 15 report. Um, we do quarterly reports for finances for everyone, meaning program funds. Um, our financial results after we close our fiscal year are audited by an independent audit company. Um, we monthly activity. Currently, we're in the process of changing this, but currently we receive vending commissions for subcontract vending machines that come into us and then we disperse them to the Randolph separate vendors that are running the various facilities where they go to. Um, we also oversee highway vending in Virginia. Highway vending is done by subcontractor. The vending commissions that are received from it come back to the Randolph separate program and they are used primarily to fund the program. Um, we do offer a deferred compensation plan for the vendors. Um, so we manage all aspects of it, along with dispersing monies when a vendor retires, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we also, through the agreement with the state, have to carry liability insurance on the facility assets, things like that, not on the business, but just on the facility. Um, what do we do for the vendors? Um, obviously, again, we work hand in hand with the VFEC. If we have a new facility through program funds, we provide the needed cash so that uh, location can open if the vendor needs it. Um, we work on all of the permits or MOA. MOA is a term in Virginia for memorandum of agreement. So in Virginia, we have an MOA with the state agency and obviously federal, we have a permit. Um, we help draft those documents together. Um, once they're finalized, they are the, for the state, it is signed by the agency. Uh, any vendor that needs any support, doesn't matter what it is, uh, we provide any type of support around that. Um, obviously, all client relationships, which I'm a big believer in, meaning all of our host agencies, whoever our point of contact is, we have multiple dealings with them, whether it's what we want to change, what a vendor might want to do, uh, introduction to new concepts, equipment, whatever it may be. Um, kind of put together business plans too. And what I mean by that is a business plan if a vendor needs any support around that. Um, the big one, the growth, you know, what can we do to internally grow business? And then obviously what can we do externally? Um, we do prepare the licensing agreement for Randolph Shepherd vendor. Um, However, the state agency is obviously the one that issues the license to the vendor. 
Um, all of the equipment. So everything that's in the Randolph Shepherd facility, um, we're responsible to support from repair to replacement, um, anything around a renovation of the facility, um, any component to equipment, we try to support and we also purchase it. Um, from a new business perspective, we have, again, kind of repetitive. We help with creating that facility. We do the financial forecast on it. We entertain and talk to a Randolph Shepherd vendor about that forecast, if applicable, kind of prepare that permit MOA. If it is a RFP or an IFB, invitation for bid or request for proposal on something that, uh, like a cafeteria, we would be engaged in reviewing that document. Uh, a design of a new facility. Um, again, any forecast around that facility. Uh, and then obviously any site visits. Um, education. So I have a, a person that's kind of like a education coordinator along with some minor components of being a business counselor. Um, her responsibility is obviously to prepare and put together the education program for any student and or any upward mobility. Um, air training program or education program for a new student is hybrid. And what I mean by that is we do use Headley School for the Blind as part of that component. We have classroom sessions and we also, obviously during the pandemic, we went virtual. So we had some guinea pigs that kind of said yes, I'll go through the virtual training. We, like everybody else, um, had a lot of mistakes and a lot of fun with Zoom and any other document. Uh, we support the vendors' annual meetings. So if they're going to have an annual meeting, and hopefully we'll be able to have one next spring, um, we would be behind the scenes helping the VFEC create the vending, the meeting agenda, along with any plans associated with the meeting. Um, kind of back subcontract vending. Um, in Virginia, we had federal unassigned vending. Um, we all know that RSA issued the TAC 21 bulletin that spoke to that. So we worked with the VS, VFC who uh, we created a subcommittee and we kind of studied on what we were gonna do with that. Um, but right now there's about 200 plus subcontract accounts that we have, and we are in the process of creating new facilities with those locations to be compliant to the TAC 21. Um, and then again, lastly, highway vending um, has about 275 vending machines in various rest stops in Virginia, and uh, we manage that. So I think that's pretty much everything we do. Well, I'm sure I've left something off. Ken, I do have a question for you about the equipment. Um, if, a, if a new vending machine is needed, can you just buy one or do you have to go through procurement laws of the state? Um, uh, go back to Nikki, we put together that budget. Right. And the state agency, they're the final approval of that. And in that budget, it lists equipment expenses. So once that budget is approved, that, in my opinion, gives me the green light to purchase right. equipment um, to stay. But again, it's, it's my job to make sure we follow that budget.
And, and how much staff do you have and compared to how much staff does the SLA have? Um, so technically the LS, the SLA has a director, so one, and then the director is, has people, if you will, associated with him, uh, the deputy commissioner of enterprises, um, the VR group, um, the attorney general's office for any legal support. And then, uh, our company, we have uh, 10 people. So it's myself, um, along with the county manager, what we call business counselors that work in the different market to help the structure of the facilities. Um, and then we have one person who um, uh, is kind of like a fill or relief as needed in Northern Virginia because of all the security requirements to get in those agencies. So a staff of 10. I think some of our people who are listening, especially the vendor side, perked up when you said the SLA has one staff person. Um, and that staff person, I think, actually has duties in addition to business enterprise. So the short answer, you gave me a five-minute answer to a question. The short answer is you do all of the day-to-day -day operations of the business enterprises program in Virginia. Is that correct? That would be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you answered. I think you did answer what what you don't do. Is there anything you don't do? I mean, do you do the interviews or how does promotions and transfers or is that all the SLA? Um, it's it's intertwined within us. Um, so if someone comes in new, meaning someone wants to get into um, Randolph Shepard, they start on the VR side of the house. Then it goes to the director of the VEB. And then it comes to me um, as far as a new person is concerned. Um, for upper mobility or transfer and promotions, we're, we're part of that process. Um, the state agency is involved, meaning the director, along with someone from the VFVC. Yeah, I think the I think by, by law the the SLA is required to issue the licenses. They're the only ones who can terminate a license. Uh, they're the only ones who can provide evidentiary fair hearings. Um, but you know, most everything else, I think I think uh, they're, they're, I may have left out something there. But most everything else, they're they're allowed to allow a nominee to do like like you like you sound like you are doing there in Virginia. That's correct. In the state agency. Um... They're involved in, uh, I don't know if I would call it unfortunately or fortunately, any legal matter uh, or any arbitration that may come up. Uh, example, um, the Fort Lee dining contract. Um, I typically don't cross that line. Um, uh, yes, you're correct too. They're the ones that actually are giving the license to the vendor, not, not us. And if a state is thinking about becoming a nominee, what recommendations would you do for that? Would you make for them? Um, I think, Nikki, what I would try to do is I would try to see how that process could create a business that is entrepreneurial. And, and because you, if you think about it, here you got the Randolph Shepherd program that's full of people that are entrepreneurs that are running their own business within government. And that's kind of where I came to this and I was intrigued by it. You know, how this is interesting. 
I'm running my own company. I have all the headaches and responsibilities that anyone does running their own little company. Um, and at the same time, um, you're growing business within government. And uh, so my answer to the question would be is to try to find someone or an entity that is truly an entrepreneur and thinks like an entrepreneur um, because it technically that's what they're there to do um, is to support in any way another entrepreneur run a business. Yeah. So to, 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 go ahead, Dickie. I was just say, I was just to follow up to say that, uh, and I know you know, Chad, we don't always made fun of Virginia a little bit back when they were paying forty eight percent set aside or whatever, and I know it's down to almost. 5% now, I believe, uh, prior to the pandemic. And I know that the committee was very involved with that. And I'll give that to you. And I, and I love that spirit. Um, not even just a nominee. I mean, Terry and I have talked about we need massive changes in Randall Shepard pre, pre-COVID and now definitely uh, past COVID. We'd absolutely need changes. What Being an entrepreneur, what, what type of change? I mean, if we, if we think we're going to stay in federal and state buildings, we're done. That's the way I feel, especially cafeterias. And you're a, a lot of federal buildings around the D.C. area. What, what would you like to see in changes in Randolph Shepard? What do you think needs to be done? Um, I think we need to step back and ask ourselves, what are we missing? Um, in Virginia, if you look at it, I believe our biggest growth opportunity is within state government versus federal government, even though the federal presence is great. And the reason I say that is when you look at Virginia and some of the businesses that are providing services within state government, uh, I believe we could fall into that. Uh, an example of that uh, would be um, commissaries or canteens within the correctional folks. Um, I also think we need to continue to explore, again, I have to look at Virginia um, because we don't do a lot of business with your large universities because of um, some laws that were passed years ago, but it doesn't necessarily mean, in my opinion, that we can't do business with them. Um, and again, I, I still go back to, you know, where are we at with cafeterias? My personal opinion is, I just don't think it's there anymore. Um, I think we need to continue to look at how we can automate uh, the services that are being rendered today. Uh, I envision in my mind a vendor having multiple locations, almost kind of like a region, um, and doing that through technology, i.e. micromarkets, et cetera, et cetera, which I'm proud to say, because a lot of people work here in Virginia. You know, we were out there converting facilities to micromarkets, uh, in my mind, um, a good while ago, yes. because we all realized that was a fantastic way to manage labor. I remember working with G GSA on that uh, to make sure that they, back in the day with uh, Jim Nodell on getting those uh, permits changed that we could do micromarkets. So, and I, we applaud you for that in Virginia also. Yeah, that, that was, um, uh, that was surprising to me. Um, there's no reason why uh, Randolph Shepard has to constrict itself to anything. It can do, it can do any, any 
business model it wants. It's just got to do it. I want to go back to the um, to, to the advantages to a state agency. You you go to national meetings. You're on national calls with with the, with the BEP directors. I assume on some of those calls that you that you participate on. Um, and, and I'm, I'm sure that some of the things they're talking about, some of the frustrations they have are things that are somewhat foreign to you because of the situation you're in. What advantage would you see there, that there is to going the nominee route versus trying to run it yourself? Well, obviously, I don't know, um, Terry, what it's like to be on, I would call it the state side running a Randolph Shepherd program. Um, but again, the way I look at it is I'm an entrepreneur running a small business that just so happens to be part of Randolph Shepard. And I think you have to have people within that component that want to do that. Um, one of the things that came to mind when, again, going back 10 years ago, was I was remorse in a way where it just seemed like it took forever to get something done. I understand now a lot better than I did then on why it takes a little longer than normal because I was used to coming out of the private sector. Okay, here's your orders, if you will. This is what our business plan is going to be. This is how we're going to get there. Let's get it done. Um, so I think to answer your question, you just got to have the right people that are looking at the business differently because it, in my mind, it's not government. It's an entrepreneurial situation that's full of people that want to run their own businesses. And those people typically, they don't want to wait till tomorrow. They want to do it today. And that's what you got to figure out how you can do. I think it's well said. And, and, and I agree with you hundred percent. You know, when, when a vending machine breaks and, you know, state says it's going to take a while to get it and whatever. The customer doesn't want to hear that. We got, we're in a customer service business, you know, besides being entrepreneurs and we need to take care of the customer. And if we can't take care of it because a refrigerator can't get repaired or a vending machine can't get bought, then that's when they're going to look for somebody else to come in from the private sector that can do it. So I agree with you hundred percent. Yep. So Chan, Nick, Nikki and I, we, we, we end up having lots of conversations with, 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 with blind entrepreneurs who are having conflict with their agencies. Uh, you know, the, the relationship is sometimes contentious. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with the vendors and does being a nominee help mitigate some of those problems that you have that other states might be having? Um. I would, I, I'm going to say it's my belief in my mind that my relationship with the vendors in Virginia, along with the VFPC, um, is, is good. Um, we're all in this together. We all know and realize that in order to move the bar, we've got to work as a group. Um, candidly, do I agree with everything? No. Do, does pe do people agree with everything I do? No. Um, uh, going back in time, uh, a lot of components of Randolph Shepard, in my mind, I thought I understood, but I didn't understand. And I know there were disagreements. Um, however, 
in my mind, we've been clicking. Um, Pre-pandemic, we were at record sales as Randolph Shepard in Virginia. We were opening markets. We were expanding growth. Volume was up everywhere. Um, yeah, we hit the wall when the pandemic hit. Um, but we continued to work together as a group. Uh, we were able to support each other and get through, if you will, the pandemic. Uh, are we back yet? No, but we're getting there. So how, how does how does active participation work with a, with with a nominee? I know obviously, and, and one of the things that I did that I failed to mention that that is, falls under the responsibility of the, the SLA is to promulgate regulations. So obviously, if if you're promulgating regulations, that the agency is going to be involved. But where does where does business opportunities for the blind interact with the committee of blind vendors? when it comes to the whole active participation concept? Um, well, um, kind of start at the beginning. Um, I have conversations, I'm gonna say regularly, daily, every other day, whatever it may be, with the VFPC chair. Um, anything that we wanna do that's, I'm gonna call it beyond our normal practice, um, we always reach out to the VFPC chair initially uh, if that cascades to the entire committee, that that's that's their choice, which is great. Um, so any practice that we want to change, any things that we want to introduce that's new, um, I have conversation either with the committee or with the VFEC chair or with various VFEC members. Um, I mentioned when we were kind of looking at TAC 21, how we're going to deal with that. Uh, again, we created uh, a subcommittee that there are various committee members and non-committee members part of to discuss how we're going to tackle that together. Nikki, that was a great interview. A lot of great information there from Chant. And, you know, I said it in the in the interview when we were talking with him that I think they do it the right way. And uh, when I was up there 10 years ago doing a program of evaluation, I really got educated about the uh, how, how the nominee works. And I'll be honest with you. Up until that time, I was not a fan of nominee agencies. Uh, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, we were having this conversation, I would have not been supportive of it. But after really seeing how they run theirs and, 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 and seeing the benefits that, 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 that Chant talked about, I really think there's a lot of benefits to it. And, and I think a lot of states ought to be seriously looking at that as an option. And I, and I agree. And I think one of the greatest things about doing these podcasts is that um, the things that you learn, you know, it's been such a, a learned experience of all the ones that we've done. And uh, Chant gave us a, a great background on nominees. And I think it's going to be a topic that's going to be discussed more and more as we move forward. And I do want to say this before the, you know, the comment that Nikki made about a national nominee, send all emails to him personally about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I understand. I understand what, what you're saying, Nikki, and 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 I, and I totally, I totally support what, support what you're saying. But that is such a you know, you talk about not you know not thinking inside the box or outside the box. Get rid of the box. That's getting rid of the box. And, it, it, uh, it is. It is. But you know what? We and we've said this on almost every podcast, and we said it before the podcast is that we need to make positive changes to Randall Shepard and and any type of positive change 
you know, I, I know that's a, a dream, but you never know um, if we can make some changes and, and some nominees get involved and it's easier to buy equipment. I know states are having problems now with procurement issues and those types of things. And if it makes it easier to take pieces of a nominee and, and do that, I think that that's something that's, you know, maybe not no box at all, but maybe outside the box. Well, and, and you, you heard what Chance said about the, about the purchasing part of it. I mean, once he has the budget, he's free to make the purchases. And we hear the horror stories we hear about vendors not being able to get equipment and not being able to get repairs done and to be able to just cut through all of that. If for no other reason, uh, you know, that is uh, a, you know, a strong reason to consider the nominee. Now, and, I, and I don't want to say anything negative about any of our SLA friends. I'm a former SLA guy. Nikki says I'm a recovering bureaucrat, but uh, we've, there are some advantages in being able to hire in the private sector than there is in hiring in the state sector. And you can, you, you're able to select people better without going through some civil service process. If people aren't performing, you're able to get rid of them. Uh, and so I think from a, from an administrative standpoint, it, it, it makes sense to be able to run this program with private folks as opposed to trying to run them with civil service. And I understand our, you know, a lot of our state agency people could, would feel threatened by that. Uh, and, and, and I get that. But uh, you know, ultimately, it's how do we best manage this program? How do we best fulfill the promise of this program? How do we best create opportunities for blind vendors? And if it's the nominee concept, then it needs to be explored further. And I agree, and as Chan said, the name of the, of the nominee, business opportunities, business opportunities for the blind. So um, those type of things. I think we'll have this conversation. I think we may do something as we talked about at Blast in Atlantic City, Blast on the Boardwalk. Don't forget to register. But I think that this is going to be a conversation that uh, SLAs might want to have with us. And, and I think blind vendors will want to have with us. Well, Terry, here we do another podcast done. Um, very successful, I think. Uh, we'll find out uh, reaction as we get. It's great to have the reactions that we're getting from people that uh, talk about the, the podcast. So please spread the word about these. And uh, Terry, I have a couple words for you. Stay cool. Stay safe. And Josh, same to you. And thank you, Josh, for helping. We could not do this without Josh, everyone. We don't have him as a sponsor. We don't have him. But the man behind the window, Josh, thank you so much for doing this. Terry, have a great time. I know you'll be spending time with family this month. I will be too. And I look forward to seeing everybody next month. Appreciate it, Nikki. And uh, we will see you next month. And uh, have a happy August, everybody. The We Are Randolph Shepherd podcast would like to thank our sponsors, the National Association of Blind Merchants, Coca-Cola, Sodexo, Three Square Markets, You Select It, Southern Food Service, and Tyler Technologies. If you would like to support the We Are Randolph Shepherd podcast, we would love to have you on board. Corporate sponsors may contact Nikki Gakos at nikicolorado.netscape.net. Individuals who would like to support the podcast may do so by donating to the National Association of Blind Merchants at www.blindmerchants.org. We would love to have your support.